Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. We've been in a series called See the Wonder. See the Wonder. And that series is going to culminate next week with our play called Wonder at the Windspear. Kind of set it up last week telling you that I toured the Winspear Opera House, a $197 million facility. I walked in. I was blown away by the ambiance. I saw the chandelier. It smelled bougie in there. And I could look at the architecture and I could see the wonder. But I don't just see the wonder at a $197 million building. I see the wonder right here in Gillies. See the wonder here? Saw the wonder when we were at Hi-Fi location. Saw the wonder when we were at Granada Theater. And you could get secondhand high when you walked in. I <laughs> saw the wonder there because I truly believe that wonder is all around us. It's all around us. You just have to open up your eyes to see it. In fact, you have to pause to see the wonder. The reason why many of us never see the wonder and we have the wrong perspective is because we have the wrong pace. But sometimes when you just pause you're able to see the wonder, the beauty, the splendor. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series. And so I'm ready to preach it. We had church at the 9 a.m. service. But uh, let's, let's jump into this second installment of this series. Would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? And I want you to go with me to the gospel of John. John chapter 1. I want to look at verses 14 and 15. And then also Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So, same chapter, same verses, two different books. One is OG, or I should say OT, Old Testament. The other one is New Testament. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. And then John, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. When you're ready to read it, say yeah. If you're not ready, say, wait a minute. Look at that silence. I love it. This is pretty much, if you want Christmas in a paragraph, you want Christmas in two verses, Amanda, this is it right here. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, Oh, this is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Don't read that too fast. Let that just hit you in your cranium. How can somebody... Be a person who is coming after you and they're greater than you and then they existed before you. Ooh, he's talking about Jesus, the God man, God in flesh. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 1, same verses, same chapter, Genesis 1, 14 and 15. It says, then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be signs to mark the seasons days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. I like that little verse right there where it says, let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, 
and years. I want to preach today using a sentence from a Christmas song where I think the writer caught the Holy Ghost in the middle of the song. I want to talk to you today for about six and a half hours from this title, Tis the Season. Tis the Season. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and just say, Tis the Season. Tis the Season to be jolly. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la. See, that's hope. Fa-la-la-la-la. I told you, he caught the Holy Ghost in the middle of writing it. Tis the season. Look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. Tis the season. If you believe God's going to speak to you, would you give him some praise up in here? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Speak to us today. And even now, I ask for victory for your team. America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, to defeat the Washington football team. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you're new, I pray for everything. Tis the season. Do you have any Christmas family traditions? Yes. Counsel your hand. You got Christmas family traditions. That's a lot of hands. Something that every year we do this. Every year we watch this movie. Every year we play these games. You got Christmas family traditions. Christmas family traditions are interesting because sometimes those traditions can actually cause tension in families. They can cause tension between the people who love the tradition and are obsessed with nostalgia and the other people in the family who are free spirits and like, look, it don't take all that. You really be an extra. We don't have to do all of that. Have you ever seen the tension between the people that want the tradition and the people like, can we just have a Christmas or Thanksgiving where we just chill? I don't know if you can guess which one of those people I am. It's just like, come on, I'm trying to watch the game. And here you are talking about, uh, everybody grab a pumpkin, grab a pumpkin, and let's carve what we're thankful for in the pumpkin. I'm like, look, I'm a grown man. I ain't got time for arts and crafts. Can we please just eat the turkey? Them traditional people, they want their traditions like here they come Christmas oh, I, I got new onesies for everybody uh-huh they're on sale at Target everybody get your onesies on we're gonna watch the movie again it's like look I'm grown I don't have time to put on this onesie people love their Christmas traditions in the Madu household we have a few traditions one is that our tree goes up early goes up very early you heard Pastor Taylor earlier our tree is up in October people October. If it hits November, we're late. We're late. I'm telling you, if you want to see the female version of Buddy the Elf, that's Pastor Taylor right there. Our trees, plural, we got about 50 of them, are up by October. That's one of our traditions. Another tradition is we have a movie night where we have good old chocolate chip cookies every year and hot chocolate, and we watch all kinds of Christmas movies. My favorite one to watch, just so you know, The Preacher's Wife. Come on, somebody. Has there ever been a greater Christmas movie? My twin, Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston. What are we talking about? Should I sing the song? Who could imagine? Who could imagine? I hit the note. I hit it. I hit it. Love that movie. That's one of our traditions. And then we have a new tradition that's fairly new, and it is actually becoming 
operative word being becoming one of my favorite traditions. This is a new one. And that's where we load up the kids in the car, all three of our little humans, and we go to the Grand Prairie Lights, the drive-through lights. Have you seen this place? You just go and you drive and you just look at lights. That's a, it's $40 a car. And you just drive and you look at the lights. $40 a car to look at what you can look at for free at people's houses. But <laughs> you just drive through. It's $40 a car. And it is becoming one of my favorite traditions. We do it every year. In fact, I got some good family footage. This is this year's. This is this year's when we went to the Grand Prairie Lights with the fam. Show that beautiful footage. breaking all kinds of road rules, kids hanging out the sunroof. And, and we go every year, we go every year, and you know, I don't go to see the lights and drive through just to see the lights. I don't go to see the lights. I, I drive through to see the look on my kids' faces while they're looking at the lights. I don't care about them lights. I'm still thinking about the $40 <laughs> they have charged my SUV to drive through here, but there's something about going through the Grand Prairie lights and looking at their faces as they look at the lights. And it's something about looking at the lights through the lens of my kids that brings beauty to the lights. All of a sudden, when I look at the lights through their lens and I see what the lights are doing to their face, all of a sudden I forget about the $40. And I'm like, this is incredible. Because as I look through the eyes of my children, the wonder of watching the lights is restored. This is what I've been trying to articulate in this series is that all of us, just like my kids, are born with our wonder switch on. You do know you were wired for wonder. As soon as you came out the womb, you were just like my kids. <gasps> lights, you had the wonder, but over time through disappointment, through pain, through heartbreak, through expectations not met, all of a sudden we lose the wonder in our eyes and all of a sudden we get cynical. I'm like, I cannot believe they charge $40 to drive through here. And what I've been trying to say in this series is God wants to restore our wonder. He wants to restore your wonder. He wants you to look at your life and to stand in awe. He wants to restore the wonder of a child in your life. That's why he told his grown disciples who were trying to shoo away the children. He says, hold on, you can't even enter my kingdom unless you become like them. What was Jesus saying? He wasn't saying being immature. No, no, no. He's not calling for immaturity. He was calling for childlike wonder. He was causing, calling for all of us to look at things in life and go, wow, that's amazing. I asked you last week, when was the last time you said, wow? When was the last time you said it backwards? Wow. Or have you gotten so cynical that you're not impressed with anything anymore? You're just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Seeing it. You know who the worst people to preach for are? Cynical people. Oh, people who come to church like this. Well, we'll see what he got. 
oh, I can't stand to preach for people like you because you're never going to get anything out of the service. If you came in here with your arms folded, time out, well, I'll see if he has anything to say. Of course, you're not going to receive anything. But if you came in here with some wonder, with some expectation, with your faith up, saying, whoo, I don't know what he's going to preach, but I know God's got something for me today. If you came actually ready to take some notes or write something down, I'm telling you, God would speak to you on a different level. It's amazing how much onus we put on other people in environments as if you don't have to participate. Some people are like, ooh, that's the best message you ever preached. I'm like, no, that's the best time you ever listened. Like, you actually weren't on your phone. No wonder God spoke to you. You actually weren't thinking about your ex during the service. No wonder you got a word from God. Because I'm telling you, when you come into a service or into a moment with wide-eyed wonder, oh, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. If you just look at your spouse with wonder. I'm telling you, they can have a bathrobe on. Is that a new one? No, same one? Well, it looks different today. Wonder. When was the last time you said, wow? When was the last time your eyes were open to the beauty that is around you? Because I'm telling you, when you lose your wonder, you will lose your why. When you lose your why, you will lose your way. Because it all starts with living a life that says, God, my eyes are actually open to see what you want to do. I told you last week, sometimes the reason our eyes are open is because our mouth is open. And sometimes God has to shut your mouth to open up your eyes so you can see the wonder of what he's doing. I also told you that you know you've lost your wonder when you stop being thankful. That's a, that's a huge sign. You want a blues clue for losing your wonder? Is when you stop being thankful, even for the little things. I'll give you another one. You know you're starting to lose your wonder when you've lost your curiosity. That's again, children. You always want to, children are always asking questions. I'm hit with questions every day. My kids, seven, five, and four every day, inundated with 21 questions. Why? How come we can't go there? What is that? What's his name? Tell me questions. You know what that is? Because their brains are still developing. And if you want to see, if you want to see wonder in action, it's curiosity. Just asking questions. You ever meet those people? You talk to them, and all they talk about is themselves. Like, yeah, I am going to do this. And I was thinking about this. I, I, I. He's like, you want to ask me one question about how I'm doing? We got to sit up here and talk to you and talk about you for the next 30 minutes. Those are people who have lost their wonder because they're so narcissistic. Their life is only focused on them. And no wonder their life is miserable because if your life is only focused on you, that is a lame life to live. Get some curiosity. Ask somebody else about their life. How's your family? How are you doing? It's, it's a life of wonder, curiosity. See, some of us, we ask questions, but we ask the wrong questions. Like, why didn't I grow up in that family? What would have happened if I wouldn't have married them? <laughs> what if I would have went to that school? What if I had more money? Asking the wrong what ifs. Kids are asking what ifs like, man, what if I can't fly off of this thing with this bathrobe around my neck? <laughs> they ask the right questions. It's what if, it's so funny, I was watching Home Alone with my little Evie girl watching Home Alone. And it's funny, the questions she was asking and the questions I was asking. Movie I've seen several times. She's watching the movie, you go, Dad, what if I really got left in the house? Could I do that if I was home alone? She's asking, do those pranks really work? Do they really work? She's trying to find different things in the house. She's asking all the right questions. You know what questions I was asking watching Home Alone? How much do the McAllisters make? Like, look at that house. What are the property taxes on that thing? <laughs> Zillow, like, how, how many flights you flying all them to New York? 
Man, the plaza is $7.85 a night. What do you do, Mr. McAllister? That's the questions I'm asking. <laughs> That's not the question she's asking, what if I got left by myself? Have you lost your wonder? What are the questions you're asking? See, a movie I've seen so many times, I was asking the wrong questions. I got familiar with it. See, that's really the challenge of the Christmas story. I'll be honest with you. It's a hard story to preach because you've heard the story so many times. I saw some of your faces last week when I read it. You're like, oh, Mary and Joseph, yeah, we know. Because you grow up hearing the story, and it is the familiarity with the story that's actually robbed you from getting revelation from the story because God has revelation in some of the things that we've gotten so familiar with and we've forgotten to ask the right question. Have you ever even asked the question, why the Gospels are written down? Why the account of Jesus' life? Like, if you're asked the question, like, why do we have a written account of the life of Christ? You realize after the first few decades after the death of Christ, there was no written account of the Gospels. The Gospel was actually spread orally. You also know that the people in the Bible didn't know they were going to be in the Bible. Did you know that? Not like they were taking a step and like, somebody's going to write that down. No, they had no clue they were going to be in the Bible. There was no written account of the life of Christ. The gospel was spread orally. And the reason that the gospel was spread orally and there was no need for a written account of the life of Christ was because there were so many eyewitnesses around who had seen Christ for themselves. So it became very difficult for anybody to distort the personhood or the character of who Jesus was. So during that time period, if somebody was to say, man, let me tell you something, bro. You know Jesus really didn't multiply the fish and the bread. What had happened was he called that little boy's mama, and they started making more fish and bread sandwiches in the truck behind the corner, and then they started passing it out. If somebody would have said that, they'd have been like, oh, no, man, you're lying. I was there. I ate the fish. I ate the bread. I saw them get down to the last piece and all of a sudden it reappeared. I was there. So it became difficult to distort the personhood, the nature, the picture of who Jesus was. You know why? Because there were so many eyewitnesses around who had seen for themselves. But over time, those eyewitnesses began to die off. As they began to die off, the personhood, the nature of who Jesus was began to get distorted in that culture. So they said, let us write with specificity what he did and who he was so nobody would distort the picture of who Jesus was. I find it intriguing that as long as there were some eyewitnesses who were alive, it became difficult for the culture to distort the personhood of who Jesus was. Oh, maybe that's why Jesus is being distorted in our culture today. You know why? Because we don't have enough eyewitnesses. We don't have enough people who are alive in Christ enough who have truly encountered Jesus for themselves so they can actually give an accurate picture to the culture of who Jesus is. Oh, we got a lot of people that know church, but how many know there's a vast difference between knowing church and knowing Jesus? Preach, Robert. I'm trying. We got a lot of people that know church. But knowing church is not knowing Jesus. And when there's not a remnant of people who have had an encounter with the real Jesus, when there aren't eyewitnesses who are alive, the picture of who Christ is will start to get distorted in the culture. He's being distorted today. So funny, I'll talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, forget it. You're a pastor. I don't do Christianity. And I'll start talking to them. And then when they start telling me their version of Christianity, I'm like, oh, I don't do that either. Because <laughs> the picture has become distorted in the culture today. Thank God for Matt, 
Marky Mark, Uncle Luke, and Little John. All of them, all of them wrote down on record so you would know who this Savior was. All of them. Have you ever asked this question? Hmm? Since you know the story. Have you asked this question? Why would four gospel writers need to write about one man? Why four? Well, first of all, I'll tell you, because your God is so multidimensional, he's so multifaceted. How many know you don't even need him four? It could have been 10,000 people to get you a full picture of who this Savior was, this Savior that was fully God and fully man. I mean, come on, just think about you. Like, have you ever been to jail? Don't answer that. But <laughs> if you go to jail, have you noticed when you're getting ready to go, they take your mugshot and they ain't going to just take a picture like this. They're going to turn you to the side, get a picture. They're going to turn you like this, get a picture, so they tell me. They're going to turn you like this, get a picture. They're going to turn you like this, get a picture. You know why? Because you, you ain't even God in flesh. Because you have different facets of your face, and they want to make sure on record that it's really you. It ain't your twin. It ain't your cousin. So they will tell you to turn, so they make sure they get your profile from the side, from the front, from the back. They get every facet of you. They want to make sure it's on a record. If that's true about you, how much more about God, Emmanuel? We needed different pictures of who this Savior was. Thank God for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All wrote down with precision, letting you know. Writing to different audiences, different audiences, because they had different agendas for the audiences they were writing to. Are you bored yet? I love Matt. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, trying to let the Jewish people know, yo, this is him, Yeshua. This is the dude. That's the fifth fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies. That's why he starts off Matthew chapter 1 with baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy. He's trying to let them know this is the one you've been waiting for. Mark Matthew. He, he wants you to know what Christ said. Then you got my boy Marky Mark. Mark is different. Mark is writing to a Roman audience. Rome. Powerful Rome. He, he's letting you know that Jesus was about that action. Out there. That's why Mark don't even got time for baby Jesus. Oh yeah, try to find a manger in Mark after this service. He does not have time. He is writing to the Roman audience. He's letting them know, I'm going to start you with full-grown Jesus, hair on his chest. He's not playing games with you. That's who Mark is writing to. He wants you to know not what Christ said, what Christ did. Then you got Luke. Dr. Luke. Ooh, the physician. Leave it to the physician to have to record a virgin got pregnant. Like, I did the research. I don't know how, but I got to. <laughs> Dr. Luke, he's writing to a Greek audience. And Luke is not concerned with what he said or what he did. He wants you to know how Jesus felt, the compassion of the Savior. Ooh, but in my text today is John. And John is not a synoptic gospel like Matthew and Mark and Luke. John stands in a category all by himself. John is writing to the world and he's trying to let you know who Jesus is. Who he is so that you may believe. John is writing to the world. I love John because even when he concludes his gospel, he says this is just some of the things that Jesus did because if I took the time to write every single thing that this man did, there's not enough books in the world that could contain every single thing that your God did when he was on this earth and he put on human skin. 
again, this is John's gospel. John, I love it because it's as if John is retweeting the book of Genesis. When you read Genesis 1 and John chapter 1, it's as if they go together, even though they were written thousands of years apart. It's as if John is echoing what the writer of Genesis says, because Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, and God said, let there be light. And here comes John in John chapter 1 that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness couldn't comprehend it. Y'all don't like the Bible. And then in verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. See, you've gotten so familiar with Christmas, but I just want to pause and give a praise break and thank God that the Word became flesh, that the intangible became tangible, that that which was abstract became concrete. I'm glad that the Word became flesh. I'm telling you, if I'm sick, please don't just give me a medical book. Get me a doctor. You know why? That doctor is going to personify what's in that medical book. If I get in trouble, please don't just give me a law book. Get me a lawyer because that lawyer is going to personify what is in the law book. If somebody steals my Jordans, please call the police. Don't just throw me a book with the penal code. Get the popo because the police officer is going to personify that which was in the penal code. Don't you understand that when we were stuck in our sin, when all we had was the law, we needed Jesus to step out of eternity into time and put on human skin and the word became flesh. Woo! That's why I'm shouting at Christmas is because God was that baby. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. We beheld the wonder of his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is John doing? John is doing what's happening in Genesis. It sounds the same because the Bible is not a collection of random stories. The Bible is one story of a God who created humanity, a humanity who jacked everything up, and a God who goes on the greatest love rescue mission to redeem those who couldn't get themselves out of the mess that they got themselves in. It's a singular story. It's one story. You understand? <laughs> you understand? You wouldn't know anything about Mary and Joseph if not for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve jacked up Mary and Joseph's wedding. They're the ones that messed it up. The two couples are connected. If Adam and Eve had obeyed the word of God, Gabriel would have never showed up to Mary's house. You don't think what you do will affect generations after you? We wouldn't know nothing about Mary and Joseph if not for the disobedience of Adam and Eve. So whenever you read the Gospels, every once in a while you got to rewind the DVR of human history and look at the Old Testament because it is a singular story. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis and John are connected. The same Spirit, oh, please don't miss this, that was hovering over the waters before God created the wonder 
of the world that we see is the same spirit that hovered over the womb of a virgin named Mary and created a wonder in her womb. The same light that was in the womb of Mary is the same light that shined in the book of Genesis when God spoke and said, let there be light. The stories are intrinsically connected. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Darkness. Even Isaiah prophesied, those who have been in darkness have seen a great light. John says, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. Biblically, darkness is a metaphor for chaos. It's a metaphor for the chaotic. And so watch this. Before we could ever see the wonder of creation, God first had to bring order to the darkness. First thing he did was bring order to the darkness, the chaos, so we could first see the wonder in creation, which leads me to believe you can't experience wonder until you first have order. The reason why many of us don't ever see wonder sometimes is because our lives are out of order. We've got the wrong priorities. So no wonder your eyes aren't open to the wonder because your life is not in order. And so let me give you a 22, 22 message early. If you want to see the wonder of what God has for you next year, start getting your life in order. Start getting your priorities in order. I'm talking about like just real practical stuff. Like some of you are like, man, I don't know why I feel this way. Man, I just like feel down. I feel like depressed and stuff. Man, I just feel down. I don't know why, man. I'm tired. I wonder why. You don't work out. You crushing carbs. You Netflix binging every night till three in the morning. Drinking till you fall asleep. Don't get out and get some sunlight. I don't know why I feel this way. I do. Your priorities aren't in order. So no wonder you can't see the wonder. You will never experience the wonder until first there is order. So God said, I got to bring order to the chaos. And the way that the chaos turned into the cosmos is your God created by speaking. God created by speaking. I love that word created in Genesis because it is only used of God. The word is ex nihilio. It means to create something out of nothing. Please don't miss this. This is worth you coming to church today. God is the only person that can create something out of nothing. You understand there's a difference between creating and making. You and I really don't have the power to create. Like, I know you are creative, but hold up. <laughs> You're really just a maker. Just a maker. Because come on, like void of the headphones and of the instruments, you couldn't make that beat. Uh, void of the voice God gave you. You couldn't sing that song. Void of the cognitive aptitude that God just gave you. You wouldn't be able to get that degree or create whatever you created. So it's not like you started from scratch. I heard somebody say the closest thing to being a God is having a blank sheet of paper and a pen. Yeah, not really. Because <laughs> you got the pen and the paper. <laughs> being God is no pen, no paper. Let there be trees. <laughs> That's him. Because he does not make, he creates. He creates something out of nothing. If you told me after the service, it was a little brisk this morning. Did you feel it? You feel it? Very cold. And it's, after the service, you said, Pastor Robert, go make a fire. I'd be like, cool, I can make a fire. I'm going to gather some wood together. I'm going to get some matches. I'm going to get some gasoline just to make it interesting. 
And once I gather the wood and I light the match, gasoline, and the flame goes in the air because I saw Castaway with Tom Hanks. I will beat my chest and say, I have made fire. And I would be right. I made fire. I didn't create it. You take away the wood, you take away the matches, you take away the gasoline. I am impotent to give you fire. Not God. God could be in Alaska in an igloo with a ceiling fan and air conditioning and out of nothing and from nowhere say, let there be fire. And fire would show up because God is the only person that can create something out of nothing. Okay, I'll take that little golf clap. Let me tell you why some of y'all really missed the opportunity to shout. Let me tell you why you missed the opportunity to like shout because you've been complaining. I heard you. I heard you. You've been complaining and you've been saying, seem like nothing is happening with this business I started. Seem like nothing is happening with this healing I've been believing God for. Seem like nothing is happening with this thing I stepped out on faith for. And you're about to walk away from the promise of God simply because nothing is happening. And I came to tell somebody today that just because nothing is happening doesn't mean God is not working. It is on the canvas of nothing that God's word will show up. So don't you dare throw in the towel and walk away because nothing is happening. God is the only one that can create something out of nothing. Oh, I wish I had somebody that would give God at least 10 seconds of some praise for that right there. Oh, I can't give up because nothing is happening. God can create something out of nothing. That's why you look ridiculous when you start praising God. You will be in church praising God, lifting up your hands, jumping up and down at the altar, and people be like, man, you're really excited. What happened? Did you win the lottery? Did you get a raise? you get a Tesla? And you can look at them and say, no, nothing. You shout like that over nothing? Yeah, because I can't wait for it to manifest. That don't take faith. Real faith says I'll praise God even when nothing Somebody just give him a nothing prayer. Oh, I'm shouting not because I see something. I'm shouting over nothing. He's the only one. Nobody else can do that. Create something out of nothing. He looks over the panoply of darkness and says, all right, I got to bring order to the chaos. I got to create something out of nothing. The word, the word that produced the light, hear me, I'm going to connect it, is the same word that got a virgin pregnant. It's the same word. You know what Mary said after the angel came? Let it be to me according to your word. She came in alignment with the word of God over her life and a virgin got pregnant. And you sit up here doubting whether you can get a job <laughs> and a virgin got pregnant because she just said, let it be to me according to your word. And you wonder why I got these student loans. And a virgin got pregnant because she said, let it be to me according to your word. The same word that created the cosmos is the same word they got a virgin pregnant. It's connected. So hear me. God is calling us to see the wonder. And one of the ways you see the wonder 
is to come under, please don't miss this, the obedience of God's word. There is no need for Mary or Joseph if Adam and Eve stood in awe of what God had already provided in the garden. Here's how you know the trick of the enemy. In the garden, he narrowed their focus to the one tree that they couldn't eat. So every day, rather than seeing the wonder of the fact that you're in the original whole food market, your only job is to walk around naked and eat fruit. That's your job. That's what you put on the IRS tax form. What do you do for a living? Walk around naked, worship, eat fruit. But rather than see the wonder of that, he's narrowed their focus. I bet that tree tastes the best. They lost the wonder. You lose your wow, you lose your why, you lose your way. He's narrowed their focus to the one thing. So to come under God's word is to be in awe. You got to obey the word. And Christmas, this is the message of Christmas, that whenever God gives you a word, it will come to pass. No matter how long it takes. What's the message of Christmas? It's going to happen. When? Wait. That's the message of Christmas. It's going to happen. For real? Uh Uh-huh. When? Wait. You understand that when Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and God already had a plan. It's not like they messed up and he said, oh, I got to do something. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. He looks at Eve and says, Eve, there will be enmity between your seed and the serpent's seed. He said, he is going to bruise your heel. You're going to crush his head. Eve, I know it looks bad because you messed up, but don't worry. You're going to crush the serpent's head through your seed. But how? Eve didn't have Jesus. God was looking at Eve, who stood representative of womankind thousands of years into the future, to marry the one that he would come through. And said, I'm going to crush his head. And I'm going to use you. You don't get to pay back, Eve. When? Well, later. (laughs) You got to wait. That's the message of Christmas. It's coming. But wait. Because when God speaks something, it has to come to pass. All that was my intro. (laughs) Y'all laughing, I'm being honest. Um, No, for real. Four minutes, we'll be done. I just want to show you through this creation narrative that we read, that whenever God speaks something, it has to come to pass. Okay, look at this real quick. In Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to look at verses 3 through 5. I need your thinking caps on, okay? When God speaks something, it has to come to pass. And hear me. He doesn't even have to give you a sign that it is. He can give you a sign. Thank God for the star that the wise men got. But when God speaks something, he don't have to give you a sign. If he said it, that's it. The sign is the extra fries at Chick-fil-A in the bag when they say, my pleasure. (laughs) But he don't have to give you the sign. When he gives you the word, it's yours. So let's look at it. It says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the... Which day? Which day? First day. Is that what your Bible says? It says, your God looked out into nothing and from nothing said, 
Let there be light. We probably sound like Morgan Freeman. Let there be light, son. <laughs> and light shows up, and God said it's good. So on day one, we have light. Is that what your Bible says? Marking the first day. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. I want to show you this. This blew my mind. It says, God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, that's the sun, the smaller one to govern the night, that's the moon. He also made the stars. Whoo, thank God that he made the stars. The same star that would be a sign to the wise men to guide them to him in flesh. He said, God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the? Which day? Hold up. Day one, God says, let there be light. Light shows up. God says, and I'm good. Day four, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars on day four. But on day one, he said, let there be light. And light shows up. But the sun, the moon, and the stars, all light-giving entities, do not show up <laughs> until day number four. But on day one, the Bible confirms there was light. Some of y'all don't know what to do. You're like, is this heresy? I don't understand what this is. So if on day one there's light, but the sun, the moon, and the stars don't show up until day number four, you got to ask yourself as a thinking, cognitive individual, what in the world is shining for three days? And the only logical explanation is that God's word is so powerful. God's word is so potent that whenever he speaks something into existence, it has to show up regardless of or not if there's a sign to substantiate it. Whenever he speaks it, it has to show up. Oh, I'm going to help you shout now. There are some things that God will speak into your life and there will not be a sign to substantiate it. And the only reason it'll be in your life is simply because God said so. You won't have the credentials for it. You won't have the credit score for it. You won't have the connections for it. You all you'll have is God said so. How you get in that house? God said so. How you got that car? God said so. How your kids like that? God said so. How are your family alcoholic but you not? God! I wish somebody would give God some praise for the power of his word. When he speaks it, it has to come to pass. Oh, it don't make sense on paper. It's just that he said so. Light was shining with no sun, no moon, no stars, just a word from God. Ooh. This ain't something I'm preaching. This is something I'm living. You know how many church planners are calling me now? Can we get the secret sauce for how social is exploding? I'm like, I ain't that smart. It's just God says so. God says so. And I just had to come into alignment with the word. There are some things in your life that won't even be a sign to substantiate it 
Thank God for signs. He gave the wise men one. They followed the star. But God didn't have to give you a sign if he gave you a promise. It'll come to pass. When? Wait. Wait. That's the message of Christmas. That when God speaks something, it has to come to pass. No matter how long the night, no matter how many King Herods try to abort it and kill it, no matter the rejection, no matter how many times you're alienated and ostracized, that's what blows my mind. Some of you are like, I want to be married. Do you? I want favor. Do you? She realized everything in her life blew up after that angel came. She had to live with the stigma of being a teen mom, pregnant out of wedlock, her whole life. You think everybody just believed it? People were whispering for years. You see her at the grocery store? You know that that crazy girl talking about God got her pregnant. You mad because one person wrote something crazy on your page. Well, I want to be married. Do you? Stop looking for everything in your life to go perfect to authenticate the favor of God on your life. Sometimes the hell and the controversy that's coming against you is proof positive that Emmanuel is with you. That's why you need Emmanuel. I got to know he's with me, not when everything's going perfect. I got to know he's with me when I'm in a dark season, when Herod's trying to kill my promise, when people are coming against me, when people are talking behind my back, when people are trying to sabotage the plan that you spoke over my life. That's when I got to know he's with me, not when everything's perfect. I got to know he's with me in the night season when I'm about to lose my mind. God speaks it. Another question I have, and I'll close with this. I said, God, if you up there and got it like that, then you just say, let there be light, and light shows up, and then day four, you're like, oh yeah, let's put some sun, moon, and stars up there. Why create the sun, moon, and stars? That seems extra to me. Why not let light just shine as a result of your word? So even today, we go outside and be like, ooh, the word is bright today. Let me get my glasses on. Why create the sun, the moon, and the stars? God, I love your word. He tells us in Clause B of Genesis 1, 14, let them, what is them, the sun, the moon, be signs to mark the seasons, the days, and years. So I'm not putting those up there for light. I am light. When I speak it, it'll show up. But the sun, the moon, and the stars are signs to mark what? Seasons, days, years. Seasons, days, years. Seasons, days. Y'all, when I read this verse, this changed my life. That little verse right there changed my life to know that he put the sun, the moon, and the stars not for the light. He is the light that shined in the darkness. Those are just up there to mark the seasons, Days, years, seasons, days, years, seasons, days, years, seasons, days, you join in anytime, seasons, days, years, seasons, days, years. can we have some fun? It's the last service of the day. 
This side right here, all the way to the back. When I point at y'all, can y'all just say season like the Cowboys are winning right now? Are they? <laughs> and then right here in the middle, when I point at y'all, can y'all just say day like you had some espresso? And right here to the right, when I point at y'all, can y'all just say years, okay? You understand the assignment? Okay, let's try it. <laughs> y'all ain't saved. Uh, let's try it. <laughs> let's try it. I think you got more than that. Come on. Some rough years over there. Come on, years. Let's try it again. Hey, everybody stand. Let's try it again. Here we go. changed my life because I realized that my life on earth will be measured by the oh don't die on me now you're going to mess up the whole sir my life on this earth will be measured by how many God gives me and I don't know how many that I got so since I don't know how many that I have, I got to cherish and value every single because every that God gives me is a gift. What I do with that is my gift back to God. And do you know how I have the strength, the fortitude, the perspicuity to face each is when I am aware of the of life that I am in and when you say God I trust you no matter the God will give you the strength for each and when you have strength each you'll look back over all the and you'll say that God was faithful God was with me God was beside me God fought my battles not because I was perfect but I just trusted him and every single tis the to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. Robert, I can't be jolly. You don't know what I'm coming against. You don't know what, what I'm facing. I don't. And I'm not belittling it. Tell me to tell you, don't give up because it's just a seasons come and go, but God's word will stand forever. Seasons change, God's word will never change. God is looking for people that have a heart like Mary and just say, Let it be to me according to your word. God, I'll trust you in every. And if I trust you in the season, I know you'll give me the strength to face each. And even if it's not a perfect, if you still gave me a, then that is the that you've made. And I got to rejoice and be glad in it. 
least I'm here. Some of you, you're so messed up because of your timeline. You got so much stress, so much anxiety because you're 15 years ahead. Sometimes you just got to say, man, I just need strength for it too. What's your 15-year plan, bro? I don't know. I'm trying to get through the... <laughs> I'm telling you, you trust them each. You will look back over the... And see that God was faithful in every single... Tis the season. Tis the season. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray you would help us trust you in each season. God, open up our eyes to see the wonder. Open up our eyes to see that the brisk cold of winter still has a beauty when the white snow hits the ground. Help us to see that the hot temperatures of summer still has the beauty of backyard barbecues. God, help us in the fall to not be so busy complaining about the leaves that have fallen in our driveway that we got to rake. But rather, we would see your handiwork, the intricate details of colors that you painted on each leaf. God, in spring, don't let us be so busy complaining about the pollen count and our allergies that we don't open up our eyes to see the beauty of the flowers. God, thank you that every season has wonder. I'm asking that you would open up our eyes to see it. Help us to stop complaining about the season. Teach us to trust and to praise you even when nothing is happening because you're the only one that can create something out of nothing. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. 